What's going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and I have special guest Will Watterson, ketogenic rock climber on the line today. How are you, man? Hey, um, I'm great, brother. Great to be talking to you. Good, good. Well, give, give the audience a little bio, kind of like what, what got you into the space? You said you've been doing keto for two years. What was your introduction to that? Yeah, well, um, I'm I'm based here in New Zealand, little country, and pretty much as far away from from you as you can go without starting yeah. to be flying back towards yourself the other way. Um, I have been rock climbing for about ten years, and um, voraciously devouring uh, rock climbing podcasts on training. Uh, rock climbing training is still very much in its infancy compared to a lot of sports. So, uh, yeah, about two years ago, I was listening to podcasts with Dave McLeod, who's this world-famous rock climber. He's just all-around badass guy. Lovely guy, though, very gentle-spoken man. And uh, and he mentioned that he'd had this newfound success with his climbing, and he'd, he'd, he'd achieved his highest grade because uh, rock climbing is graded. And according to difficulty, he'd achieved this highest grade he'd ever done. And so the host was like, oh, what's, what's that all about? And he said, well, I've actually been doing this ketogenic diet. And um, the podcast host was actually a nutritionist, and she herself was pretty dubious about, about it. But by the end of the podcast, I was convinced that this pretty crazy-sounding diet, maybe I should give this thing a try. Um, mm-hmm. You know, rock climbers are always – trying to uh find that perfect balance where you know when you're climbing you're you're carrying your body weight with you and so you want to be lean you know but you also want to have good sport specific muscles to help you get up the wall so climbers tend to talk a lot about their weight and tend to always be looking for dietary strategies to help help them stay lean and uh so i gave it a go and man here i am two years later loving it um many multiple benefits which we can talk about but you know one of them has simply been that i've been able to stay uh lean a lot with a lot less effort and Mm -hmm. basically zero suffering which is what i was enduring before and uh i've seen uh no reduction in my performance in fact i'd have to say i've seen an increase um mostly due to reduction in inflammation uh which has allowed me to train more often and have higher quality training as well. So, yeah, never look back, man. I'm loving it. What was your your nutritional protocol like before keto? Just out of curiosity. So, in my twenties, I could eat anything, and you know, I'd, I had a six pack right through my twenties. And um, it was only as I started to get into my late twenties, early thirties, that I started to notice that what I was eating had had an effect on my weight, and um, and so when I got really interested in high performance rock climbing, I decided, okay, yeah, it, it's obvious to me that I need to be lean. What I'd heard about was the whole calorie thing. So my strategy was just to not eat, not eat very much. And, um, Hey, look, that works. Um, that works for a while at least. And, um, I got real lean and real light and my climbing definitely improved, but I wasn't a ha- very happy person. <laughs> Uh, I was hungry all the time. And the other thing, man, was I was inflamed like um, a lot. So 
particularly as I got into my early 30s, I would go for, I would train. I When I train, I always train really hard. I would come home and I'd be, feel fine. But the next day I'd wake up and I'd be so sore and so stiff. And um, I'd be grouchy and grumpy. And, you know, my wife and my kids would be like, what's wrong with you? And uh, it's just the information, you know. And, and when I went keto, man, that that pretty much disappeared. So yeah, grumpy, grouchy, and inflamed from, from a more of a, like a calorie restriction approach that it kept the weight down, but, uh, but I wasn't a happy man. It is mind boggling how crazy the inflammation aspect of keto comes into the picture. Like that's something mm-hmm. that I think a lot of people don't hear about, you know, when they're considering the diet until after they get in and kind of dive a little bit deeper. But for me, that was one of the first things I noticed, especially doing like the movements I'm doing in my training, like the squats and whatnot, that's a lot of you know pressure on the knees and the joints. Mm-hmm. And I would always have a lot of pain. Like it would hurt to go up and down the stairs after like a leg day, like not like a muscle soreness, but like a joint pain. And after doing keto, like all that was just eliminated, like literally within 24, 48 hours. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't realize that until they experience it for themselves. But I can only imagine from like a rock climbing perspective, I mean, you're kind of doing all kinds of crazy contortionist positions. Your your fingers are cramping up, your, I would imagine. And having that removed would be just like a, such a noticeable difference. Oh, man. You know, I mean, every sport is, I guess, different in, in where where the real strain and soreness occurs. But, you know, in climbing, you're putting unbelievable amount of forces on your fingers, on your finger flexors and the joints in your fingers. Um you know, the only the only time I've ever been injured uh, from climbing was when I drastically reduced my calories and um, and I blew out the uh, the pulleys in my A two pulleys in all four of my middle fingers um, from doing what's called a campusing move where you've like kind of dynamically doing this crazy pull up with no feet and you're grabbing a very small rock hold. And yeah, that's the only time I've ever had an injury like that was when I, when I was really calorie restricting. And um, but even when I wasn't injured, those joints in my fingers were always really sore, um, and my forearms, you know, because of the force production in there, they were always sore as well. And I just don't get that anymore. It's awesome. Love it. And so that was the only injury you ever sustained while while rock climbing was in the fingers. How, how did that recover? Like, what's the recovery time like on something? Um, it really depends on how bad it was. So for me, I don't think I fully blew them. I think they were just torn. So you have a period of basically you have to stop climbing for a while. And then the opinions are kind of divided on what you should do. But I found that, um, actually engaging in some very gentle climbing where I wasn't bending my fingers at too much of an angle, um, increased the blood flow to the area and actually help, uh, uh, speed up the recovery. But I was, you know, I was off climbing for like no climbing for a month. And then it was months and months of slowly building the strength back in up in those pulleys again. Uh, I'd say it probably took me five or six months before I was back up to the, the performance level that I had been when I got injured. You know, that's, that's, that's not fun. That's not a no, amount not of time that anyone wants to take off their favorite sport. So yeah, fingers crossed will never happen again. What gets you into rock climbing in the first place, man? I'm, I'm intrigued because I've never, I've never rock climbed before, but I love the concept of it. 
So what was your introduction to that as a sport in the first place? Well, I've actually got a secret motive with this podcast. I'm really hoping that I can get you to go out and try some bouldering, but um, <laughs> but maybe by the end, we'll, I'll have convinced you. But um, I got into it. Funnily enough, I got into it because um, when my son was born, when he was around, he, he was around one year old, and uh, his mother and I were were um, separated, living separately, and. Um, uh, we were both pretty young, and uh, it was a pretty stressful time for me as, a, as a, I guess, a you know, a single parent. So um, I'd never really done a sport. Like I'd always mucked around outside, and I'd climbed trees and hiked and stuff, but I'd never really done a sport. And a friend, uh, my counselor, said, "Oh, you should do some physical activity because it's really good for your mental health." Mm. I was like, "Okay, well, I don't think I'm very good at throwing or catching things." But uh, I remember I've always been good at climbing trees, so why don't I go down to the climbing gym and try that? Um, and I went down and instantly just took to it like a duck to water, or I guess a monkey to a wall, maybe a better metaphor. <laughs> but um, yeah. I just found that I, yeah, I, I loved it, man. And I, I guess I'd, I had some good upper body strength from doing a little bit of um, kind of circus uh, stuff with my brother um mucking around with gymnastic rings at the, at the at the gym at the university as well so just naturally had some upper body strength and that meant that i accelerated through the early like the lower levels of climbing and, and then and that quickly got to a point where my strength uh wasn't enough and and i didn't have the technique i needed to to do those higher grades and suddenly i realized oh this isn't just about being really strong it's you know there's some real technique here there's some flow there's some body movement and i and then i fell in love with that as well because there's a beautiful problem solving uh, aspect to climbing as well so it's very cerebral and so i love that combination of brute strength with flow and cerebral problem solving just loved it is there like a ideal you know, physique for rock climbing. I'm assuming someone that's, you know, has longer limbs and longer fingers would probably be advantageous. Like I'm, I'm a little short stubby guy. Is that going to be much of a hindrance? <laughs> well, I'm, uh, I don't know how tall you are. I'm, I'm five, eight. Um, I'm five, seven. So you only gave me okay. by an inch. Yeah. Um, that's a pretty, it's funny you say this because it's a pretty controversial topic in the climbing world. Um, sure, people love to complain that their tall climbing friends have an advantage, um, but then their tall climbing friends complain that their short friends are lighter and mm -hmm. uh, have, you know, have less weight to carry up the wall. And so what I've noticed is that actually there is no ideal body type. I mean, except probably the unideal body type would be if you if you're very overweight then you then you, right. you know you are going to struggle um to, to to pull that much mass off the wall up the wall because the human forearm is only t designed to i guess cope with so much force um but when you look at the the world champions both the men and women they're all shapes and sizes um i mean one thing they all have in common is they're all pretty lean um, mm -hmm. but you know, I, I think that's probably a result less maybe of genetics and more just, you know, they train a lot, um, and they're probably pretty healthy. So yeah. Gotcha. I've said so no excuses. Then. <laughs> no excuses. And actually, you know, right now the people dominating the, the world cup, are the Japanese and, um, they'd be shorter than you, man. So yeah, yeah, you can do it for sure.
Yeah, it's it's funny. There's all these stereotypes in in different sports. Like everybody in my niche assumes that you know if you're really tall, you can't really squat to depth, which is again another fallacy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, as far as the rock climbing is concerned, it's it's interesting because you know from the outside looking in, you always hear that there's these ideal physiques, and if you know like basketball players probably probably would benefit from being a little bit taller, but uh, mm-hmm. it's interesting for sure. Yeah, I think um, I think they take me for instance, right? So I'm five eight but I have really long arms. So um, yeah, climbers, we have this uh, term we call ape index. Your ape index is how much uh, wider is your arm span than your height. So the average person, supposedly, their height is the same as their arm span. Um, well, for me, my arm span is an extra 10 centimeters, which is like more than four inches, I think, uh, wider than my height. So I have these long arms, right? So that's kind of an advantage because I can reach a little bit further. Um, but then it's also a disadvantage because, well, the longer a lever is, the more force you have to produce to move that lever through like an arc of motion. So I like I always found pull-ups harder than some of my friends who had shorter arms. And for me to do a one-arm pull-up, that took me a long, long time um, of training, whereas it came a little bit more naturally to to some of my friends who had shorter arms. So I think, you know, everyone's got their strengths and weaknesses. You just got to make the most of them. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Enlighten me to the different, like, genres and types of rock climbing. Like, for me, not really knowing that sport, I know there's, you know, bouldering, there's rock climbing, there's with a uh, with ropes without ropes like just kind of go through and, and just enlighten me as if i didn't know anything because i basically don't yeah no worries man so um yeah so you got multiple sort of disciplines i guess you'd call them um so if we start with bouldering that's kind of like your your sprinting or your powerlifting um equivalent where you've got literally a a boulder so think of it like a big boulder out outside big granite boulder for instance and you put some crash pads underneath it and you you climb to the top and the idea is you f- you pick a boulder that's really you know right at your limit because you're doing typical boulder might be me eight to twelve hand and foot moves to get to the top and it might mm-hmm. might be over in between 20 and 40 seconds, um, which is a short amount of time, right? But it's really, really hard. Like, you know, you might be upside down, you might be climbing on these teeny tiny little holds. Um, so that's like the sort of extreme power version of rock climbing. And um, even people who aren't predominantly in love with that discipline, they they use it to train uh, for the other disciplines in the sense that they use it to build up their power and their strength. Mm-hmm. And then if you go a little bit more up the endurance scale, you've got something called sport climbing. So that's where you, you're going to tie into a rope and, uh, and you're going to, yeah, you're going to climb a wall and it might, a rock wall, and it might be 20 meters, 30 meters. Um, you guys are going to have to convert this in your heads into feet um, <laughs> as you go. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's more of a, you could say power endurance slash endurance really depending on the height of 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 what you're climbing and and the nature of the holds that you're grabbing but um, people who do that tend to have a pretty good blend of a good level of power and strength but some good endurance too 
Mm-hmm. And you're climbing high enough where you definitely need a rope and you need to clip into these protective um, bolts as you're going or you, or you put the protection yourself into the wall, which is called trad climbing. Um, but, yeah, that's the sort of endurance side. Um, and then, yeah, I suppose you from there you'd be looking at something like big wall. Um, you could look at uh, the famous um, – climb that was done a couple of years back, the Dawn Wall that was in the newspapers. Uh, a couple of guys climbed that. It took them 19 days, you know, and they were sleeping on the side of the wall. This is in Yosemite, sleeping on the side of the wall as they climbed up. Now, that's essentially them stringing together multiple sport climbs, so multiple endurance climbs. So, you know, they'll do, do what's called a pitch just one section and then they'll rest and then they'll do another one. And then, you know, it'll it'll be getting dark and they'll be like, right, let's stop, put up the, that crazy bivouac thing on the side of the cliff and sleep in it and then get up and do it again. And uh, those guys did it for 19 days and, you know, it was just an incredible feat. Um, That's insane. Like honestly, like seeing that, oh man, it's just, just crazy. (laughs) I would have to think that'd take some, very, you know, hyper focus and just mental discipline. Well, I, I can't remember off the top of my head how many how many pitches, how many sections they had to climb and how many thousands of feet it was, but the hardest sections of climbing that they did are harder than any single piece of climbing, like any single move that I've ever done. And they did that for 19 days in a row. And, you know, I'm like, a, I'm not a professional, but I'm not a mediocre climber either. So, like, yeah, it was so impressive what those guys did. Um, yeah, and then I guess on the, the far end of things, you have alpine and mixed climbing where you're you're climbing up into the mountains and you're in the snow and you're, you've got axes at some point and, and yeah, you're, you've got your crampons and you're just up there in the elements and, um probably probably the most dangerous form of climbing um that's not one that i've done myself uh but i have friends who do it and they just love it they love the adrenaline love the the risk involved the calculated risk and obviously love being on a mountain and the incredible power and the beauty of mother nature so yeah those are the those are the main those are the main uh disciplines i'd say so, so what's the primary difference between that alpine climbing versus uh, the previous where you have like the multiple pitches? Um, well, I guess uh, the main difference is probably just the, the type of gear and the, the elements you're dealing with. So the guys who climb the wall in Yosemite, um, to some degree, they were exposed to the elements, but, you know, they were climbing with their fingertips on, on rock. They were wearing, uh, like these sticky rubber shoes as they were climbing. And, um, they might've had some bad weather, but when they're in the bad weather, they, they weren't climbing. They were in the, in the bivouac and they were, mm-hmm. um, they were just all snug and warm and eating burritos. Um, <laughs> whereas that the whole Alpine thing is the whole point is to be up there in the ice and snow and, clawing your way up with with uh, ice axes and things like that i'm probably butchering it i have, i haven't done it myself all my all my alpine friends are probably just face palming right now but but yeah that's the main difference you're way up there in the snow in the ice whereas um the yosemite guys were on on what's called a big wall which is pretty rare which it's just a very 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 tall 
pure rock face uh, where you're just climbing with your fingertips on the rock. Yeah. I see a picture of those images that you see like on the magazines where people are just basically holding on with two arms going like inverted almost mm. of a, you know, rock face. And that just, whew, it's scary, man. I, I clinch up just looking at the picture. Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned the without the rope thing um, and that's called soloing. So there are some climbers who, who really love that style and um, they climb without a rope. And, you know, they, I mean, any, I mean, if you're climbing above four or five meters at all, you're without a rope, you, you're running the risk of seriously injuring yourself when you fall because, yeah, I mean, I've, I've had friends seriously injure themselves falling just, you know, a couple of meters onto the ground and hitting their head. You took, when you start talking about 20, 30, 40, 100 meters, hundreds of meters, uh, some of these guys climb without ropes. It's, yeah, it's one, yeah, one mistake, you fall, you're dead. Um, right. So it's a special kind of person <laughs> that, that does that. Um, I'm, I'm certainly not passing judgment on, on the people who choose to do that. You know, it's, it, it makes them feel alive and, and they do tend to approach it with a real calculated um, approach. But yeah, it's, it's not something I've ever done or I would ever do. I, um, I like to, I like to climb. I like to challenge myself, but I like to be safe as well. Yeah. I would have to assume, especially with like, with you having, you know, kids, I mean, you, you gotta take, take the people that are relying on you into the picture. And that's a pretty, pretty large risk, I would say, but I would have to assume that, you know, if, if somebody is free climbing or, you know, doing it solo without the rope, like, there's no plan B for them. They pretty much have to make it work. I mean, that's, that's gotta be a whole nother level of motivation. That's it. That's it. I mean, I still, there's still a place for adrenaline in, in any of those disciplines that I mentioned, um, mm -hmm. in the bouldering, which is what I mostly do every so often you find this beautiful boulder you want to climb, but it's, it's pretty dang high and, uh, you've got crash pads beneath you, but you know, when you're talking about an eight meter high boulder and, and, you know, the boulder isn't a perfectly round surface. It's got weird shapes and angles to it. So if you slip, you might kind of fall awkwardly and you might fall a pretty long way. So yeah, you can still injure yourself and, and you're high up, you know, and human beings, I think we've evolved to, um, to be scared of heights for a reason. Um, mm -hmm. so definitely even when I'm doing some of those higher boulders, I know that I'm, pretty safe but um yeah the adrenaline still flows and and i still get a kick out of that yeah i imagine i mean shoot that'd be that'd be plenty scary enough for me i don't need to do it without a rope or a crash pad <laughs> yeah um, it's a good way to start off i think yeah yeah for sure what so when someone's climbing without a rope or they're climbing with a rope but they're you know going up a, a rock face that has not been climbed before and they're attaching the rope in how, how does that how does that work? Like, what is the mechanic? What's the mechanism that they're attaching to the rock? Like, how does that work without, you know, like losing your grip? I'm assuming you're having to screw something in or is it, what kind of adhesive is it? Yeah. So it's a good question. So, um, there's two main ways to approach it. So the first one, the kind of the, the purest way is called traditional climbing, or we, we just abbreviate it to trad climbing. And that's where you're climbing up, uh, a rock wall and there might be little cracks and fissures in the rock where you can jam in um, certain kinds of equipment where when you pull down on the equipment it jams and it won't come mm -hmm. out 
But if you pull up on the equipment, it'll just come out nicely in your hand, at least if you do it right. So as you're climbing, you're jamming, uh, like a common one is called a nut. So you jam nut into a crack, for instance, and you pull it down and it, and it, and it jams and it won't come. And it, that'll take a huge amount of weight. That'll take like a rhino, right? And mm-hmm. so you attach a clip to that and then you clip your rope into the clip, into the carabiner. So it means, and you do that every, you know, I don't know, couple of meters, maybe six feet or so, something like that, uh, mm-hmm. wherever you can find it really. So that's why it's so nail biting when you're doing it. Um, and so that means when, when you're climbing, if you do slip and fall, you fall down and you fall past your last point of protection that you put into the rock uh, an equal distance to how far above it you'd climbed. So if you'd climbed a meter above it, you'd fall two meters, right? You'd fall a meter mm-hmm. down and then a meter, you have a meter of slack that you fall past and then all going well, the nut that you've put into the rock catches you and, and, uh, and you're sweet. And then you, you know, you gather yourself and you, and you get back on the rock and you keep going. Um, so that's, that's track climbing and you just keep doing that process all the way up when you get to the top and then you build an anchor and then you, and then you turn time for your partner to follow you up and your partner follows you up. And as your partner follows you up, um, he or she is, cleaning or removing the, the protective pieces that you put in. So it's this beautiful process so that by the time you're both at the top, um, you've left nothing behind. So you've left no trace, but you've both reached the top relatively safely. You know, you might have, you might have some uh, scrapes from falling past the last point of protection where you, you bang into the wall or something, but that's about it. Um, so if you fall, you've got to like climb up the rope and then regain your footing on the rock yeah well yeah that's that's right if the rock's overhanging and you fall you swing out right and so it can be really tricky to get back on so you have to like do this really awkward thing where you kind of swing like when you're a kid on the swing and you're trying to like thrust your hips and your butt to get the swing going um Mm -hmm. you have to do that so that you swing back into the rock and then you have to either catch the rock or catch the the rope beneath you that you've left sort of left behind and then just do this really awkward like hoisting yourself up and the person who's um belaying you who's at the bottom who's who's keeping you safe um they they can kind of try and lean backwards and help drag you back up but yeah it's, it's a little bit annoying when you fall so you have to that's crazy. go back up but that's the trad and then the the sport uh, way is much simpler basically um you know you and me, we go for a walk, we, we see this cliff, we think, ah, oh, that looks climbable. We try and find a way like uh, to get to the top that doesn't involve climbing it. So maybe we go around the back or maybe we climb up a really easy thing next to it. And then we abseil down. And as we abseil down, uh, we drill into the rock with a really high powered drill. And then we jam these bolts in and glue them in with this super strong glue uh, that's actually stronger than uh, the rock itself even. And then uh, that dries. And then, yeah, basically similar to what I mentioned before, as you're climbing, you're clipping into these bolts every couple of meters so that, yeah, if you did fall, you'd fall past the last bolt. And that's pretty much how it works, man. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a, 
I don't know. I'm definitely wanting to try this, but whew, that's that's um it's kind of scary, man. <laughs> Maybe you could. I mean, if you got a issue with heights, like I like I did, and like I kind of still do, actually. Um, maybe try the bouldering first could be really fun, you know, and you're a strength athlete. So, um, I think you'd be really fascinated with, with, with the bouldering side. It's very powerful. Um, but still like quite technical There's a lot to learn and yeah, you just fall on your butt on a, on a soft pad. So, and you're never more than a couple of meters off the ground, maybe 10 feet at the most. So, um, it's a nice place to start, I think. Yeah, I'm definitely going to give it a shot. It's, it's fascinating to me. I mean, you have to think very strategically if you're going up a wall like you've got several different routes you could take and you have to kind of think you know 10 moves ahead of the next move almost you do you do you know I mean, it's pretty i mean good climbers will will look at a route before they even leave the ground and they'll plan how they can execute it and then they'll move as swiftly and efficiently and smoothly and and gracefully as possible you know the best climbers in the world move beautifully they move so gracefully it's like a dance because they're so good at conserving energy and mm -hmm. um man like honestly if you go down this rabbit hole i think i think you're gonna get addicted because it's uh there's so much to learn you know um, someone was coaching me the other day and i couldn't do this move and i said i don't understand i can't do this and the guy said oh see how you've got your toe here move it two millimeters to the right and pull your hip in slightly like one inch more into the wall and i did it and suddenly what felt an impossible move became completely possible and easy and these tiny little hip adjustments and toe adjustments and the way you drop a knee down in this direction or or move your shoulder in and there's so much to learn and i've been climbing for 10 years i'm still learning it's fascinating so that's the beauty of it, man. Like there's so many different sports out there. I've had several guests on from all different walks of life. And I just love diving into like their preferred, you know, niche because they, they're, they're passionate about it. Just is like you're passionate about this and it comes through in the way you talk. And it, it, you can see kind of glimpse into what, you know, your day to day is like and the, the decisions you have to make in this sport and kind of like the progression. It's just, it's just fascinating to me, man. Like there's literally so many rabbit holes you can dive down into and they're all, an art form in their own way that's it that's it um there's a youtube video you should check out sometime i think it's called slow moments slow moments bouldering and it's this beautiful um slow motion footage of some of the best boulders in the world um uh, doing these crazy moves during the bouldering world cup it's all slow motion and uh, some of the moves they're succeeding in and some of the moves of uh, them failing and falling. And, uh, but just the movement itself is fascinating. You see people doing some crazy stuff, upside down stuff, one arm pull up stuff, climbing on one finger. Um, yeah, it's a good video if you want to just check out some of the weird things that climbers do. I will definitely, definitely check that out. What What's the, the best like way to improve grip strength? prior to is there anything that you do like to use any like the 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 hand the grip strength exercising machines or do you just basically practice solely through the bouldering the rock climbing yeah um so we could talk a little bit about training i think i mean i always say the best thing is just to find a find a local climbing gym and, and go along and just give it a go and see if you can find some climbers who are who you know have 
who maybe have been doing it a little bit longer and who are a little bit better, but not so much better that you 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 feel a bit weird hanging out. But you know the, they can kind of you know, push you along um, because the kind of strength that you need for climbing is really really hard to train without climbing. Um, even those grip strength trainers, which typically I you know I've I've picked them up in in gym shops and I've had pretty good success with them but um you know that's a, a concentric movement right so you're squeezing the the spring and uh and then maybe there's some eccentric in there if you're like slowly releasing it there's an eccentric movement too but um climbing is mostly an isometric sport well at least it is with your fingers so when you grab a hold your hand is locked into a position and it doesn't move and all the tension is is in that position so um what you really want is is isometric strength in your fingers and and actually in your arms as well you know because climbing isn't so much about doing like a whole bunch of pull-ups it's actually more about like i pull up slightly i grab a hold and then i lock my arms in a certain position so that i can mm-hmm. move my feet around and then i look at the next hold and then i do kind of a little pull but then I grab it and I lock. And so there's a lot of locking. You're locking your fingers, locking your arms. So, I mean, the best way to do that is through climbing, but I guess you could also do something akin to what I do for my, my training. So um, I have I have young children. I don't get out to the, the real rock or the climbing gym as much as I'd like. Um, so I have to train at home. Um, and you'd be you'd laugh if you saw how I how I do this, but basically I have uh, have a really tiny wooden edge that I've sanded down to make it a little bit smooth and friendly to my skin. The edge is about zero point two seven of an inch, so that's seven millimeters, pretty thin. And I so you mm-hmm. would you by the way you would not start off with this robert uh but this is this is after like a decade of doing this so it's very thin it's seven millimeters and i i drilled that into my the beam that runs outside my porch and i hang off that with my body weight but also with an extra 44 pounds attached to my waist and i hang off that for like periods of like 10 seconds at a time and um that's how i'm sort of training my raw brute finger strength so and i'm i'm training sort of in a what's called a half crimp grip sort of like you make it sort of like a chisel shape with your fingers and you just latch onto that edge and you hang so you know the beginner's equivalent of that might be like maybe if you have like a two by four kind of beam in your garage or your basement uh you could sand the 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 corner on that to make it smooth and skin friendly and you could just hang on that and you could try a classic climber's grip strength uh, strength protocol, which would be find a find a weight. It might just be your body weight to begin with, and then you might add some more weight to yourself with like a dipping belt. And then you maybe you'd hang off that two by four or that that beam. You hang off. You hang on it for seven seconds. Rest for three seconds. Hang for seven seconds rest for three seconds and you do that seven times and what that is is it rock climbers have experimented for years with this but they found that that tends to work the best it kind of 
it's sort of an approximate for um, a, like a hypertrophy kind of protocol. So mm -hmm. it's like you're translating uh, the reps you might do with a barbell, but into isometric an isometric exercise. Um, mm -hmm. we, we call those repeaters. So yeah, um, but that'd be a great way, man. If you if you um, just want to start building up the grip strength, um, just find something where you hang off. Yeah, for those seven seconds, rest for three, and you can do it seven times. And by the time you get to that seventh rep, you want to be feeling like, oh dang, this is, I'm going to fail soon. You know, this is hard. Yeah. And when you get to that, that's the perfect weight. And then you just keep slowly, incrementally increasing the weight. And before you know it, man, you'll be hanging off that beam with a whole bunch of weight for your dipping belt. You'll feel like Spider-Man. It's, it's, it's crazy, man, because it's so far removed from, from my current training style. I use, like, all my focus is on, you know, building the, like, for instance, if I'm training back and I'm doing, like, a lat pull-down or, like, a deadlift or a pull-up, like, I don't want my, my grip strength or my forearms to fatigue before my back does. So I'll use mm. the wrist wraps and lock myself in. So I use very very little grip strength um so those muscles are probably very underdeveloped compared to yours i bet you yeah you'd make me look pitiful if we were ever doing like an actual grip hold or a pull-up uh you know movement do you have any idea like do you ever and again you were kind of talking about grip strength as opposed to like pull-ups and locking in but do you know how many pull-ups you can crank out in like a minute oh in a minute i have no idea um I stopped training when, when I could do 35 pull-ups in a row, like really nice, clean pull-ups. Mm -hmm. I just stopped training them because <laughs> yeah. I wasn't seeing, it was diminishing returns. I wasn't seeing any improvement in my, my climbing after that. Um, and likewise, once I got like a really nice, clean one arm pull-up on each arm, um, I, I was finding that going beyond that, like getting more than one rep, was was getting really tough and it wasn't necessarily translating to performance um so i kind of stopped and i thought well those are pretty good benchmarks you know this those are still pretty cool you know 35 pull-ups being able to do a one-on pull-up on each arm um my uh, i think my lock-off strength is probably even more impressive like so i'll do a one-on pull-up up to the bar and then i'll i'll release down to like where my arm is at 90 degrees mm -hmm. just locked like that and I'll stay there. I could probably stay there for a minute on each yeah, arm. That's because most people in the gym, they, they don't, they, they're just very sloppy with the movement. They don't ever like really hold in any one spot. And I try and always encourage people to like hold like a really slow negative style movement um, or like mm -hmm. that locking movement like you're talking about. And, and that engages a whole nother set of muscle fibers. And that, that is incredibly impressive. I mean, going, at the 90 degree and holding that with good form for a minute. I mean, that translates much more so to the actual climbing, I would think. It does. And, and I mean, you know, it might not be the best thing for hypertrophy, but man, it will get you strong, you know, like um, learning how to lock at different joint angles for any kind mm -hmm. of movement and hold like a, resi a heavy resistance in those joint angles um, is really amazing for strength gains. I mean, the research that's been done uh, on um, isometric exercises suggests that you'll get much, much larger strength gains from an isometric exercise than from a concentric or an eccentric exercise. But the catch with it is that it only builds strength at that joint angle. 
So, mm-hmm. you know, um, you'd have to train quite a few joint angles to, to get that full strength through the whole range of motion. But if you did that, if you did like a, a dumbbell curl and locked it at, at, you know, multiple joint angles, um, and you did that for a while, I, I, I'd guarantee you that, you know, take a rest day, come, come back after a couple of sessions like that and you'll be a beast you know you're gonna pull a much heavier weight because yeah you'll be really strong through every part of the range of motion including the part of the range of motion where you're at the the most disadvantage mechanically Mm -hmm. um in fact if you figure that out and you hold a dumbbell and you're like where what point of the range of motion is it where this feels the worst where i feel the weakest train that you know um because that's the weak point and you'll find what instantly there's a gain in, in what you can lift and you know i apply that to my body as well um i i train the weak points of of the joint angles and that that gives me strength gains right across the whole range of motion yeah i really like that as a, as a training statement i feel like that forces you to be much more in tune with what your weaknesses are and be honest with yourself you know because you'll you'll know if it's harder or easier in any one position and to target that specifically, I think I think that is key because it allows people to, you know, really, really hone in on what they need to develop to the next level. Because that, you know, the chain being the um, the weakest link, you know, kind of targeting in on that, that's going to allow you to progress to the next level. That's right. And then I hear on the grapevine, I can't confirm or deny this, that, but that's how Bruce Lee got so dang strong. <laughs> He's doing a whole lot of isometric style stuff with weights. Like I was unbelievable. Yeah, he he was. A, we have a whole podcast on him alone. Yeah. So talk talk about nutrition, man. Like dive into. I know you, you mentioned earlier that you know keto has really helped with your inflammation. But what does your specific nutrition look like? Like, what are you eating on a day to day to optimize for rock climbing? Um, like, are you doing higher vegetation, lower vegetation, higher fat, lower fat? Like, what have you found works best for you? Yeah, I kind of tried it all, um, and it all kind of works. Um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, I, I mean, I tried the carnival thing after listening to, to Sean Baker and a few others. And, um, uh, my, my wife was away, uh, on a trip to Europe. I was by myself at home and I was like, this is a perfect time to go carnivore because it's so easy. Um, he said a whole bunch of meat in the freezer and just whack that out. And that worked fine. I, f- I did see my weight creep up a little bit with that. Um, and I don't know if that was maybe because the the higher protein that, that uh, I might have been getting. Mm-hmm. With that, um, I find what works for me best is just your classic kind of keto approach where you've got yeah much higher fat ratio, moderate protein. Um, I tend – so a typical nutrition for me – so I do a lot of intermittent fasting. I love it. Um, mm-hmm. I tend to eat one meal a day. Um, at least on weekdays, weekends, I just kind of graze still keto, but I graze. Um, but on weekdays when I'm working, yeah, I I won't eat till the very earliest I'll eat. Sometimes I'll break my fast at 3 PM, but Mm -hmm. usually I break it at 6 PM when I get home and I'll be drinking black coffee, uh, two black coffees during the day, some water. And that's me until like six o'clock. And then I'll, then I'll eat as much good keto food as I want. And that typically looks like a whole bunch of green vegetables that have grown above the ground and, and some red meat 
I like my red meat, very nutrient dense. Um, I feel really good when I, when I'm eating red meat. Um, and what I've noticed is that if I stay away from the fat bombs, <laughs> I, I just naturally eat, um, the perfect amount of calories that my body seems to want. Um, mm. I have all the sport specific muscle I want. I'm hovering around 10 to 12% body fat with no calorie counting whatsoever, like easy, no problem. And then, um, you know, if I'm, if I want to get down to like, let's say six, seven, eight percent body fat, say I've got a competition or something like that. Um, all I do is be like, okay, you know, no nuts, no fat bombs for, for like two weeks. Um, mm -hmm. no berries because I love my berries. Um, and I'll start introducing some like miracle noodles, miracle rice into the mm -hmm. meals just to volumize the meals a bit more. And maybe it was to slightly reduce the portions, but, um, still, still keep the ratio keto. And that, that I find for me works great to bring my body fat down. Um, yeah, to the single digit. And, um, you know, people say, well, why don't you just do that all the time? And, uh, there's two interesting answers for that. One is because I, <laughs> I really like nuts and berries and I, and I love having nuts and berries with cream or yogurt, something like that. Yeah. I love my fat bombs. But the other answer is that when there's, there's a big difference between training and performance. So when I'm training, I'm not as concerned about my weight. You know, I don't want to creep much above 12% body fat, but mm -hmm. I'm not so much worried if I have a, you know, a couple of extra pounds on my body because it kind of acts like a weight vest and I'm climbing with a weight vest, but it's my body fat, right? So I'm getting stronger. And then if I have a competition or a boulder that I really want to climb, I can do the, you know, be a bit more mindful of the portions and use the miracle rice and boom, you know, I've got lower body fat and I still got all the muscle. So yeah, I go into performance phase and just execute. It works really well for me. I'm really, really glad you said that because I, I totally agree with you. There's, you know, for me as a bodybuilder, there's, you know, contest prep seasons when I'm training for a competition and there's the off season where I allow myself to, you know, put on a little bit more weights and be okay with it. So many people hinder themselves with their goals because they just have like this idea that they need to be, you know, X amount of pounds or below a certain body fat year round. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, they actually short sell their potential with regards to building muscle or, or training. So, mm -hmm. you know, having, having a kind of a, a cyclical approach to what you're trying to accomplish with your training and performance, I think is key as opposed to just trying to be all one way and, and short-sighted with them. I agree, man. And look, even, even the, um, what do you call them? The people who model, you know, for a living, um, who have these amazing six packs in the photos and everything, even those guys do a cyclical thing, you know, they're not, they don't look like that all year round. Not most of them anyways, you know, um, the red power ranger guy, William, he might be an exception to that, but you know, most of them, they, they, like, okay, you've got a shoot coming up, you know, I'm going to do a cut. I'm going to, I've got a protocol I'm going to use. And then, you know, that they, they, they're a little bit easier the rest of the time with it. And that's really healthy. You know, that's really natural. Yeah, I think it makes it more sustainable, like mentally and emotionally as well, because when you kind of, 
you know, tap the brakes a little bit on, you know, dialing in your, your foods or just your, your training intensity and allow yourself to, um, you know, put on a little bit more weight and not necessarily dial back the training intensity, but like the cardio or just whatever you're doing to be at a deficit and lose weight. Um, that's, you know, over time, I mean, you're just not going to see the potential you would like for me, if I was to do that, I would never look better each time I step on stage. Whereas if I take that time off to put on some more size, get a little bit more fat and feel okay about it, then I know that I'm going to look better and, and improve each time I step on stage. And the same is true with any sport. I would think there'd be some carryover. Yeah, that's right. And I think, you know, I think it's great that people want to take pride in their appearance. I think that's, that's a healthy thing to, to a certain degree, but I think as well, like you have to, you have to have a conversation with yourself about, um, you know, and then maybe bodybuilding might be an ex- exception to this because it's, you know, the, the physique, the look of the physique is very much a part of it, but, um, you have to have a conversation with yourself about, okay, well, at what point am I going to be happy, you know, with, with the physique side and maybe what are some other important things to me as well? Like my energy levels, you know, like my athletic performance, like, um, how much energy do I have? Can I keep up with my kids or my grandkids, you know? Um, mm-hmm. how strong am I? Can I pick up the heavy thing? You know, can I, can I do, uh, can I do the DIY project, you know, on the weekend? Cause I'm feeling fit and strong and, you know, just balancing, balancing out all those priorities and finding a nice harmony with them. You know, um, I definitely took the, the, the body image thing too far, um, at, at one point And I, um, purely for image, uh, I, I lost, I, I think I felt like I lost too much weight and, um, and actually affected my, my climbing performance. I think I lost too much sport specific muscle and I, I wasn't performing on the climbing wall and that, that wasn't so great for me. So mm-hmm. I had to have this conversation with myself. It's like, okay, I think I actually took it too far. I need to, I need to put the mirror away and, and focus on the other priority, which is how I feel and, and how I'm climbing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, real quick, man, I want to, I want to dive into the email you'd sent me originally. You kind of alluded to your big picture plan and goals and kind of what your motivation is behind, you know, making a, um, a community around different, different areas of life that you, you know, one would want to improve on. I would love for you to kind of elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, my, my whole career, I've been a, um, been in the nonprofit, uh, charity space for, for my whole professional career and, and, um, in a lot of different capacities, I've worked with young people, I've done community development, I've worked in the humanitarian aid, uh, emergency aid, um, space. And now, now I'm working with students, but, um, I guess I have this passion for people and, um, and the environment, but it's a sort of, even the environment is kind of through a lens of being passionate about people. Um, and that's really one of the reasons I wanted to connect with you and, you know, I, I, because I, your podcast, it's not just about a diet, you know, it's about fullness of life. It's about well-being. It's about people, f- you know, finding their, their true passion, the sense of um, fulfillment, you know, um, of which health plays a key part. So I was in my mind, I was trying to reconcile all these things because I'm passionate about health, passionate about food, I'm passionate about exercise, climbing, um, 
I'm, I'm a fairly academic kind of person as well, so I'm passionate about a lot of intellectual subjects. I love a good debate. I love a good discussion, you know, and I'm, I'm definitely happy. I'm, I'm up for a political discussion as well at any, at any point in time. So I was like, mm-hmm. how do I bring all these things together, you know? And um, I've been fascinated recently with this idea of, of third place, uh, third space. So third space is you've got, you've got home, you've got work, and the third spaces are those spaces where we we connect with our fellow human beings and we we feel like a sense of belonging um and we're able to sort of have meaningful interactions with others and typically like cafes you know play this kind of role or in in Europe where cities are designed to to accommodate this kind of stuff you walk down you see people playing chess or backgammon with each other you know that's that kind of idea and i thought what if I built something that combined all of these? Um, and this is actually how I met my wife. I met her in a climbing gym and we we kind of fell in love over um, sharing ideas and, and drawing a design. She's an architect, so we were drawing this design and it's kind of it was kind of how we dated, was drawing this design for the perfect building. And it would contain a cafe and, of course, it would be like there'd be low-carb options, if not strictly you know low carb but whatever maybe like just low carb options and there mm-hmm. would be um there'd be board games for people to play you know just come and just relax there'd be older folks there'd be young people there'd be a crossfit climbing wall weights gym ninja warrior kind of workout space where people where people could play where adults could reconnect with their sense of play and be kids again and and move and exercise through play um and there'd be also uh kind of a what i'd call like a community space with like a you know like, like a projector screen and some audio equipment so you could run like ted talks and you could run debates and you could run community group meetings and i guess my vision what's really exciting me right now is i i want to build this thing you know i i don't know how i'm going to do it but I I want to do it. I've done I've done big things before, so I have this confidence in myself that I'm going to figure out how to do it. Not sure how yet, but I know my wife's going to play a part in it because she's an architect, so she can at least draw it. Um, but I love this yeah. idea of of like this place where where people can come together and find physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional well being um, together and learn from each other as well. That is so freaking cool, man. And honestly, like I, I resonate with what you said on so many different levels because I've wanted to build something similar, uh, you know, as well. I, I feel like the the sense of community that you get in interacting with people, especially when everybody's so um, convicted over like a, a theme or like health and improvement. Like when you're around people that are just so on fire about improving themselves on all fronts, you know, mm-hmm. emotionally, physically, nutritionally, spiritually, all, all different walks of life, like there is literally nothing that can slow that momentum down. Like it's just freaking on fire and just keeps building and building and has a, a snowball effect. I mean, honestly, like I look at every success that I've seen in my life thus far and the fulfillment comes from being able to share in that with the people that have been with me from the beginning or have helped me get there and just like the camaraderie alongside my fellow person. I mean, that is where that's what makes life worth living in my opinion. 
Oh man, a hundred percent. You know, and, and that word inspiration, the the root of that word literally means to breathe life into. So, you know, when when you feel inspired or when you're inspiring others, you're breathing life into them. We're breathing life into each other. That's literally what it means, you know. And it's awakening something in our hearts, in our spirit. We, we, you know, we're giving each other permission to dream. And at the same time, you know, with with the demonstrating the work ethic, and I love this is part of what I love about your podcast. You, you know, you're very much big on getting after it, do the work, you know, chase after it, work hard. I think there's that, you know, is both of those in combination is, is such a sweet spot, you know, when people see people who are just genuinely happy and loving what they're doing and they're working dang hard to achieve it. You know, it gives people this both implicit permission that, oh, maybe I could chase my dream, but also it gives them the inspiration of, and I could follow, you know, Robert's example and, and work really hard for it, you know, and that's okay. And maybe there might be some initial financial struggle or might not, you know, you might be an overnight success. That's okay too, but, but that's all right. You know, and, and as we give each other's permission, we're all inspiring each other and we're all actually self-actualizing, becoming the people who we were really meant to be instead of just pursuing a job that will put money in the bank and food on the table. And maybe you'll retire when you're whatever age, 60 something. And then when you're 60 something, you'll live the life then that you really wanted because you've retired. Well, why not just live it now? You know, like why not take the risk? Why not just chase after it? I don't even know what words to, to use to just like reconfirm everything you just said because you, you nailed it perfectly, but I 100% agree, man. It, it, it saddens me to see people live in agony throughout the better part of their years to then retire and try and scrape back their sense of fulfillment in their, their later years when, when their health is often declining. It, it's, just, it's just sad. Like that's the sad reality of the world we live in because that's, that's the norm. And it's just not how people are supposed to be. I don't think, I don't believe that it is anyways. I mean, there's so much opportunity out there and there's so much that people can do with the time and the, the energy and the life that they have. So to see it go to waste like that and then be filled with regret when it's all said and done, like that is my biggest fear is to have regret on my deathbed. I, I'm going to fight that tooth and nail Yeah, and or, or die trying, you know, and anybody can can do it. That's the thing. Like people don't give themselves permission to just go for it. And you have to be responsible. I mean, you have to think, you know, especially if you have kids or, you know, somebody that's relying on you, you have to be smart about your decision. But so many people approach life with like this plan B, C, and D, like just go all in, make plan A work and live the life that you've desired. And when you do that, you're going to be able to put forth great work and great quality because you're going to be energized by the struggle, by the grind. You're going to work harder. You're going to work more. You're going to get more done. And every step of that work is going to fulfill you that much more and just keep energizing you as opposed to people that work in a job that hate that just like declines and they just decreases the energy. It, it wears them down. This builds you up. Oh man. And look, uh, a lot of the time people, people don't follow the dream. A lot of the time they settle for, for a, a job they maybe don't like or maybe even hate um you know they a lot of the time they're thinking about their families they're thinking about their kids and as a parent i just want to say to all you 
moms and dads, and I think it's particularly the dads out there. It's been sh- sh- um, Warren Farrell did a study that showed that men were much more likely to to work jobs they hated if the money was good, um, which just shows that women have outsmarted us yet again. But um, yeah. the main message to the parents out there is the best gift you can give your kids is to be your true self and be your happiest, most fulfilled self. That's the best gift you can give your kids because they are watching you and they'll see that and they'll take that as a cue and they'll follow that. You know, I was, when I was building, I built a a small charity up um, from nothing. I had, I had no money in the bank. I was living on, uh, I was actually living off a small amount of redundancy pay from my last job. I started a little charity living on rice and beans. I started off my laptop in, in, in my room and I built it up and it took a long time, man. It was, it took a long time to build and, and I was paying myself, uh, well, I didn't pay myself for 10 months. And then when I did pay myself, it was, it was not much. And, I was a single dad. I was living in this tiny, tiny little, I didn't even know what you'd call it. Like in New Zealand, we call it a sleep out. I don't know what you'd call it in America, but it's essentially a shed in someone's backyard that they put a bed in and like a tiny kitchen. It's just one room. The whole thing's all one room and they rent it out to you. And that's all I could afford. So that's where I stayed. And when my son was with me, which is three days a week, every week, he'd be with me and we'd share this, we'd share a double bed with me and my little boy in this tiny little shed. And, um, and that's what we did. And there were times where I was like, oh, you know, is this, is this okay? You know, is this okay for me to be doing this? And man, he was, he was happy. He was like, it's kind of like camping with dad, you know, um, in this tiny little shed. And I was happy, you know, because I was building up this charity and it was going from strength to strength. And, you know, eventually it ended up, uh, you know, having a team of like nine staff and um, it was a real success and it was great. But, you know, there was a period there where materially um, things weren't so great. But um, me and my me and my boy, we were happy. You know, we were really happy and we were fulfilled. And I'd like to think that that what I gave him during that time was the experience of, hey, you know, it doesn't matter what your material circumstances are if you're pursuing what you're passionate about, if you're doing something meaningful. I totally agree, man. And I'm not a father yet, at least, so I don't really have any basis to make this statement. But I would assume that i mean my children they they watch you know you you can tell them things all all you want but they're going to watch to see what you're doing and they're going to emulate that mm-hmm. and i would assume that you know my son my future son would look to see what i'm doing on a day to day and see that i'm passionate in doing that and doing it to the best of my ability whether i have a whole bunch of money in the bank or no money in the bank that lesson taught to him is going to be more meaningful and more useful for him going forward than simply having a roof over my head and groceries on the table and coming home every single day from a job that I hate and just feeling depressed. Like that, that's going to give a f- much less of a life lesson to him than, you know, the struggle and, and the, the, you know, trials and tribulations that are learned through doing something you're passionate about and building it from the ground up. Well, I, I think it was mother Teresa who said, um, all you have to offer the world is who you are, you know, who you are as a person. That's what matters the most. 
And I think that applies to your kids as well. Like you said it, man, the main thing you have to offer them is who you are, you know, not a big house or a whole bunch of money in the bank, although I'm sure they'll appreciate those things, you know, when they come of age, but um, it's who you are. That's your greatest gift to them because that will shape them for the rest of their life. I totally agree, man. I totally agree. What What was it like for you, you know, going from living in that sleep out one room? Like, what, what what was the hardest thing that you've ever had to do? That sounds like a very big question, but you know, you mentioned talking about like stoicism and whatnot in the email prior to this podcast. But mm. I really like to dive into the hardest thing you've ever had to do, because that is like a defining moment, and you've made it in a sense. I mean, you've you've gotten past that low and you've seen success. So what is it that goes through your mind when you're at that low point? Like what keeps you pushing? Because so many people stop pushing and I, mm -hmm. I don't understand it. So I, I try to make it a point to understand the people that keep pushing because sharing that story, I think is going to be beneficial for a lot of people listening. Well, I think there's a couple of answers. I think partly it's, it's my faith. So like uh, I have a Christian faith. And so I, I do have this belief that there's a bigger picture and that there's a, um, that I'm part of something bigger than myself. And so that, um, even if I go through suffering, that my suffering can, can be meaningful, that I can contribute to society and, and others, even if that is at my expense, um, sometimes. But um, maybe even deeper than that, maybe even because, I, I mean, I only had my faith since I was a teenager, even before that, the way I was raised. I was raised to believe that you should always do what is right, even if it's hard. You know, mm -hmm. do what is right, not what is easy. Because somehow there's this karmic law, the universe, that the good will come of that. Um, so, you know, the hardest thing, um, there's been a few things. I mean, I, there were a couple of times where the charity I was running just, um, uh, fundraising initiatives or projects that I ran, I took risks, they didn't work out. I had to, um, you know, pay the debt out of my own, my own money. Um, early on when I took on staff, there were times when, um, we had cash flow issues, um, funding issues. And so, uh, sometimes I would just stop paying myself and, um, uh, I, yeah, I'd have, <laughs> I'd have no wages, no salary for, I'd, th I'd figure I'd look at the cash flow and I'd be like, Oh, okay. I think if I don't pay myself for this amount of time, we can, I can get us back on track and I'll still just make rent. Because uh, you know I've got a little bit of savings, so I did stuff like that. I, um, I did it without telling my staff uh, because they didn't need to know, and um, because I, you know, I figured, okay, I can do that, and that will will fix the problem. So I don't mm -hmm. need to worry them. I don't need to unnecessarily stress them. So there was times where that happened, and that wasn't an easy thing to do. But I felt at the time like it was. It was the right thing to do and you know i was i was doing everything else i could as well i was getting after it i was fundraising and all that stuff but man charity works hard bro stuff yeah. sometimes um yeah um and actually maybe one other situation um 
I had an opportunity. Uh, essentially, it was a promotion. Um, the global office um, to whom I was affiliated with with this charity offered me the role of managing the whole of Australia, uh, the Australian division, as well as the New Zealand division remotely. So, uh, but it required me to move to Melbourne and my son, Melbourne's in Australia and, and my son was here in New Zealand. And so I made the decision, okay, I think long-term this is going to be a really great move for me. I'm going to learn a lot. I'm going to, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try a year away from my son. And in this strange way, it was like a decision I made for him because it was, it was going to, it was going to be good money, but it was also going to be really good for my career and, and, you know, help secure, I guess, his long-term future that way. Mm -hmm. But I made that decision to move away. And, um, it was, it was probably the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, I flew back home as much as I could to see him, but you know, he was, he was little and he was saying, you know, why are you all the way over there, daddy? Why aren't you over here? And, you know, why aren't I seeing you very much? And, oh man, it tore me apart. And, uh, I didn't last long. I was over there for 10 months and, but I got what I needed. I got the training and the experience I needed, but, um, yeah, that was, that was a tough decision. I can imagine, man. I would imagine that having children adds a whole nother layer, a whole nother dimension of just like the thought process that you tackle every single question on a day-to-day -day basis with. And, that's i don't know man like i I'm, I'm excited to have those you know be in those situations but yeah that's that's gotta be that's gotta be tough i'm excited for you man because i mean i, I obviously we've never met i feel like i know you through your podcast it's such a fanboy thing to say but um you know i think when you when you if when you do have kids it's going to add a whole nother layer for you of meaning i mean you're already a very values driven guy um, purpose-driven man um, but the kids just adds another layer because you're like cool it wasn't really about me before but now it really isn't about me anymore <laughs> yeah. it's, it's about them and about their generation and your whole mind just gets stretched way out till suddenly you see yourself as as part of the circle of life I guess you know um, part of this grand tradition and you start thinking a lot more in terms of your contribution, your long-term contribution. That's what I found anyway when I had kids. That, that's a good way to, to be, I think. I think focusing on, you know, I've always said this too, like what, what value can I add? I want to always add more value than I take. But I think having a, you know kids would really bring that to the forefront of every decision I make. Mm -hmm. I think you'll find that too. Very cool, very cool. Well, Will, where, where can people go to find out more about you, man? Ooh, well, um, I guess the main place would probably be Instagram. That's kind of where I um, show off what I'm up to <laughs> to the world. Uh, so I'm on, on Instagram as at Will Watterson. So it's Will with two L's and Watterson with two T's. And that's a whole bunch of stuff that's climbing photos, training photos, um, snapshots from, um, books I'm reading. You'll, you'll probably find a whole bunch of stoic quotes on there as well. Um, things, you know, things that talk about, um, you know, dealing with what you can control and, and letting go of what you can, stuff like that. 
Um, so it's a real, real mishmash. Um, but yeah, that's where I tend to, to put my thoughts out. Very cool. Very cool. I will link out to that for sure. And then I'll, uh, I'll get, I'll gather the gumption to go do some rock climbing and I'll, I'll tag you in a picture I'll take. <laughs> it's probably me on the crash pad, but man, check it out. And honestly, uh, cause it sounds, you know, from your background, you know, that you spend a lot of time out outdoors. Um, if you can make some buddies in the climbing gym and just get outside on, on actual bouldering on the rocks, uh, as soon as you can, I, yeah, I'd, I'd be surprised you if you didn't catch the bug. Uh, for it. It's just a wonderful way to be out in nature, a wonderful way to interact with, with the outdoors. It's really cool. It's therapy, man. I look forward to it. Yeah, 100%. Well, man, it's been a pleasure. Um, I'll definitely keep in touch because, like I said, I want to see what you've got going on with you know this this shared space especially. I'm really excited about that and I have no doubt that you'll find a way to make it happen. Yeah, man, we should talk more about that because uh, there's a couple of places around the world that are already starting to, to to play with this idea um there's a place in boston in the states um called brooklyn boulders i know it sounds weird it's called brooklyn boulders it started in brooklyn but they have a place in boston and it's this gigantic climbing gym with um ninja warrior stuff but they have a cafe they have co-working space for uh, entrepreneurs who can come in with a laptop hook into the wi-fi you know, um, work on their on their business, do some pull ups, do some climbing. Um, they host TED talks in there. They host community groups, um, all kinds of things, adult learning classes. It's pretty sick. Um, I kind of stole the idea from them a little bit, or at least it sparked it for me. So, yeah, there are places that are, that are doing it. But um, yeah, we should we should um, bash some ideas off each other, man. See where we go. Absolutely. Absolutely. Kind of go, goes back to adding more value, man. I think that would be a huge contribution to society. That's it. As iron sharpens iron, one, one mind sharpens another. 100%, man. 100%. Well, let's keep in touch for sure. And uh, until next time, man, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you soon and I'll go try to climb some boulders. Perfect, brother. Let me know how it goes. Yeah, certainly. Take care, buddy. All right. Take care. <laughs>